This is the Zen's podcast on science, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Zen Rong Yap, and it's a great pleasure for me to introduce Sabrina Wang. She's a doctoral candidate in the Department of Materials, working on a, comput- a computational materials method, such as density functional theory, and is also studying in elastic scattering. She was previously a quantum software intern at Facecraft.io and my maths tutor in my first year of university. Sabrina has a wide range of interests, as demonstrated by her dabbling in 3D modeling software Blender, her sports such as ice hockey and badminton. She has always been very generous with her help with me and has taught me so much since I've had her as a tutor. Welcome to the podcast, Sabrina. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me and for the generous introduction. <laughs> um, because you're a default candidate um, and you mostly... Uh, and during the summer, it gets more quiet. Has it been really hectic seeing all the undergrads come back? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, hectic in the sense of um, it's quite comforting to know that people are back, especially with the pandemic and all that stuff going on. So, um, yeah, summer is usually quiet, but usually there's a lot of grads that stay over um, and seeing, you know, all these fresh, happy, excited faces of undergrads. It's, it's quite comforting and it's getting busier, but in a good way. So. Awesome. And uh, your default... Uh project is on exploring low energy excitations with electron microscopy. So could you tell me a bit about like what it is? Yeah, sure. The pipeline of it? (laughs) Yeah, sure. So uh, my project is mainly a theoretical and um, computational one. So I'm not actually doing any EELS experiments. So as you know, EELS is electron energy loss uh, uh, spectroscopy. So we're trying to measure. So because electrons are charged and they have a lot smaller wavelength than light, you can probe a lot more you can resolve the chemical composition as well as atomic resolution of materials a lot better with electrons it's just a bit more expensive to use so you know ir raman spectroscopy is relatively cheap to produce but eels requires a lot more you know heavy duty um, equipment so but my job is mainly to look at simulating materials and understanding the theory the theory behind why how these how the energy loss spectra comes about so I'm specifically working with molecular crystals. So you basically just have molecules in a crystal crystalline structure, and this is the main um, applications, of course, in pharma, pharma uh, pharmaceutical products like drug design and stuff. Because um, if you have a lot of different, so a lot of the times you have drugs with the same chemical composition, but obviously different geometric uh, arrangements, and this is these are called polymorphs. So polymorphs usually can have a lot, a range of you know different colors, different. Um, like properties and how they interact with humans so a lot of drugs are actually patented based on the polymorph not the chemical composition so it will be very helpful to for example distinguish between these polymorphs Um, that's kind of the motivation of the project and it's only very and I'm only really working with the ultra low energy loss uh, spectra which means I'm only looking at the excitations due to just pure lattice vibrations um, so this is on the order of several hundred milli electron volts whereas most eels experiments you see like kh oh kh from um, lh um, core loss spectroscopy if you look up papers they're usually on the order of several hundred electron volts so this is a very high um, it's very like it's quite difficult to resolve the energy and that's why experimentally it's only been like 2018 2019 that there's been like you know, a a few good papers out that has got good experimental data, which now we can test theory against. 
And so the theory right now, um, there's two types. One is the semi-classical case, which most people use. It's just kind of solving Poisson's equations and treating the um, material as a dielectric slab. And it kind of works uh, well, but not not super well, um, because a lot of the times to distinguish these polymorphs, you need good differences in relative intensity, because it's really easy to predict where, like, exactly what mode it is, right? You just solve the, you just solve the eigensystem, you get a bunch of frequencies, you know, at this frequency, I'm going to lose some energy, so you know there's going to be a peak there, but you need to understand how the relative peaks kind of contribute to the spectra, because if you have different polymorphs, then the relative peaks of the intensity spectra will, of course, make a huge difference. Um, so, and the semi-classical case doesn't predict the relative peaks very well, which is why there's a quantum impact scattering case, um, where you kind of treat the actual system as, you have a natural interaction Hamiltonian between the electron and the system, and you actually perform, you actually calculate like the correlation functions and stuff. So it's a lot more, it's, it, it's, it, intuitively at least, you have more physics in there. So, but however, the main problem is that the impact scattering, the quantum impact scattering theory doesn't really, it, it works for the, geo the setup where you have an electron hitting the actual sample, whereas the, the geometry that I'm considering is when the electron passes by the sample without touching it. So this has a lot of benefits, like if it's a biological sample, you don't, just, you don't, you don't actually like knock you don't destroy the sample by hitting with electrons, so it's got it's got benefits, and you can also probe just the vibrational properties with the with this aloof beam. So my project's kind of I've kind of finished up reformulating the theory, um, coding it up, and then as you say in the beginning in the introduction that I work with density functional theory. So that's mainly to calculate the ground state molecular uh, the ground state properties of the material like the phonon modes, um, the eigenvectors, like solving the eigensystem, um, and that's kind of be input to my code. Yep. So then after all of that, you predict the spectra, and then we compare it against experiments. So that's kind of like the, the pipeline of, of oh, my work. I see. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so how, how much, how well does the well, theory match up with the experiments? Um, so well, you're gonna see that in the paper. Hopefully, <laughs> if it's not rejected. Um, okay. So right now, the it outperforms the semi-classical case at least. So I'm working on a, a specific molecular crystal. I won't tell you what it is yet. You'll have to read in the paper. Um, and it, it outperforms the semi-classical case, and it, I and I and like I'm making the argument that it does look like it's outperforming the current quantum like impact scattering case as well. So it's actually giving me pretty all right relative intensities. I just have a little, a few more things to, I mean, of course there's more improvements to be made, mm -hmm. but out of all the theories that I see out there, I think it's doing, at least for this specific crystal, is looking better than, than yeah. them. How are, you, how are you modeling the quantum impact scattering? Um, is that just with like um, the whole, uh, the scattering equations that you have? Uh, I, remember, I remember seeing it in one of the textbooks and um, uh, well, I, I saw I saw a version of using the Green's function to solve it, but how would you model it? Yeah, that? you can yeah. use you can use Green's functions. I'm I'm working on the case. Where, so basically, it's just like Fermi's golden rule. You just oh, kind of okay. you just take the Hamiltonian and you take the overlap with the mm -hmm. initial and final states, and so the then the states of the system then of course are gonna be modeled um, based on the properties of the system. So you cannot you can come up with an analytical derivation of this overlap integral. 
um, and for the states, for example, you can tr you, it's about it's about how you divide up the charge, right? So analytically, obviously, you can't you can't like write an equation that describes the electronic structure of everything. You need to make yeah. some simplifications. So the impact scattering simplification is just treating all you know all of the part like positive and negative charges as point charges, and then you just and so it's just a complex exponential, mm -hmm. and then you evolve that with the the Coulombic interaction of the electron, and then. So that gives you the correlation function, and you can say, and you can like prove that this function relates to the structure factor, which is which which is a correlate which is describes a material, and to get the structure factor, you can use DF like density functional yeah. theory to numerically put inputs in, um, and so it's kind of like you do a bunch of simplifications, you get an equation that describes the the um, the interaction of the electron with the system yeah. after the, all the simplifications are done. And then the inputs to this final result is coming from the DFT stuff. So mm -hmm. I mean, you could technically, you know, try to model this fully quantum, and then obviously that's just not gonna. It's just not feasible because yeah. it's yeah. I'm very glad that um, we're doing this right after I finish Chris Patrick's electronic structure theory <laughs> <laughs> lectures. <laughs> I literally just finished them yesterday. Oh wow! So, okay. Um, Great. At least, at least I can I can understand. Bits of what you're saying. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of I think a lot of doing a PhD is like when I started, I had no idea of any of this because my my undergrad was in theoretical physics and I never really did as much con like condensed matter, mm -hmm. so I never really did any crystallography or like DFT. Like I had never heard of DFT until I read up on I like applied for the <laughs> for the PhD to be honest. Um, so it's a, it's a big learning curve and I think that's like the best way to to start on anything really because you learn a lot of things really quickly hmm. so um, I'm glad that I'm, I'm guessing hopefully you want to do something with the electronic structure later on or looking into it yeah <laughs> yeah um, I wanted to ask you uh, since since you did theoretical physics first then materials is there is there sort of a different philosophy to how you're doing things because especially with DFT and elastic scattering making more approximations right to get yeah. a more practical conclusion from that so yeah you some ideas on that i think the main difference is that when i was an undergrad we did a so in theoretical physics you do a lot of fundamental like proofs and like it's almost like slightly philosophical and you have to everything has to be rigorous like super rigorous um and you don't actually get as far in terms of applications mm -hmm. so when i first started in materials i was like under the I was still in this whole mindset of like everything I read, I must understand it from the basic principles. And you quickly realize it's just not enough time in the world to like read all the books and do all that stuff. So it becomes a little bit more hand wavy in terms of applications because a lot of times you kind of feel around in the dark and you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> so you have to, you kind of have to, and as you say, make approximations, right? So, but I think that's one thing that I was lacking in terms of. Um, in terms of how I approach the world, and I think making approximations is super is probably one of the most important things to to learn because it is the most efficient way to solve a problem. And like, if you can't make approximations, you just don't have a starting point. So, mm -hmm. and knowing that the validity, especially of your approximations, is super important because all of currently you know frontiers of physics are all just trying to simulate difficult systems by making approximations, right? And if you have a bad basis or a starting point. You can't really get anywhere, so I think in terms of that transitioning into materials and more hands-on approach to projects has greatly improved kind of just my thinking in terms of getting things like actually 
getting things done. <laughs> yeah, Rather yeah. Than kind of um, being so stuck in books. On that note, um, where, where does what you've I mean the model that you've built where does that break down if you push it? Um, do have you have you? Ooh, have oh, you, you're gonna be reviewing. <laughs> will that be in the three? paper as well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that will definitely be in the paper. I don't actually know what the etiquette is of uh, I guess like not public things that are not published but it should be okay i mean yeah so uh, there's definitely a lot of places that will break down of, of course we all start with like the born approximation where you know atoms um the electrons are kind of uh they move basically immediately as the as the nucleus moves so it's that's kind of what everyone starts with from that approximation that's eventually that will break down obviously in a perfect system but it's not the worst case scenario the main thing in the paper we're going to discuss is how we separate charge so how we analytically separate charge and how this separation of charge, how the time dependence of that is becomes important when you look at vibrational modes. Because obviously when you look at phonon vibrations, you have a continuous change in the charge distribution when it vibrates. So it's about how you take averages, how you kind of quantify that and how that relates to the, ele the, like the incoming electron. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the, the, that's the problem that every theory will have when you try to derive something analytical, right, is how to treat this. So our way of kind of treating this is probably the, the, the main source of potential issues. And obviously, um, so there's a lot of, you know, like a lot of Taylor expansions in this, in this derivations, obviously high order terms will play a role. Um, of course, there's a, also an important thing in the sense that it's not just vibrational you know modes that are being activated right when you when you do these experiments there's plasmons there's potential core loss depending on where the beam is so if the beam is like you know really near the really really near the sample almost touching how is the physics different than when it's say far away mm. what are you actually exciting how does that distance um that distance i don't really account for so obviously there's there's a lot of um that kind of issues when you actually delve into the nitty-gritty nitty um and the other thing is of course um a big problem in uh, material simulation is tr the periodicity of the material, right? It's mm. easy to treat a periodic, it's an infinitely periodic system. But obviously, if you, if you, if you I guess, learned about in the, your course, if you have defects, if you have like edge effects, that kind of stuff is really hard to model. You mm. need, they take a lot longer because usually most DFT codes require infinite supercells. You, you require, oh, sorry, not infinite supercells. <laughs> they require large unit cells if you want to simulate something that's not periodic. So obviously that will, be, that will mean exponential computational time and all mm. that issues that come with it. So, oh, I think I've kind of lost my train of thought there. <laughs> what was I saying? <coughs> uh, yeah, problems, yeah. Yes. yes. So yeah, yeah not, not accounting for the non-idealities of the of the of the setup that's one of the well has a non-ideal uh situations yeah because I mean? yeah. if you look at experimental eels you just have a tiny slab like several mm -hmm. micrometers thick and then it's only like maybe a few like like tens of nanometers long and so obviously yeah. it's a finite sample so it's mm -hmm. but i'm treating it as an infinite <laughs> you know an infinite crystal yeah. um so obviously that's one of the the major simplifications so it's kind of like that the whole point right is to develop incremental improvements to, to the theory and ironing out a lot of issues i think one of the main issues with well one of the main hurdles about 
getting through this theory is just reading up on literature and trying to understand what people mean. Because a lot of people have different notations. They, the word dipole, I'm never going to look at the word dipole ever again <laughs> in my life because there are so many different ways people treat that definition. Yeah. Um, and then like unit and oh god don't get me started with the units <laughs> so like a lot of people if you look at intensity spectrum nobody really cares about absolute intensity you usually scale it to experiments yeah so nobody cares about those constants in the front and sometimes if you want to compare two theories for example if i want to compare my derivation with the current version I, those constants matter Mm-hmm. So, but then there's no consistency. A lot of papers you see, the units completely don't make sense. Like sometimes like an energy will have a unit of, I don't know, length or or force <laughs> or just no units at all. Because they'll treat everything as one or, you know, one H bar is one, you yeah. know. Na- natural units is the way to do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Um, so EELS, that's, is that an electron energy velocity? Yeah, electron energy yeah electron energy loss spectroscopy oh okay um and i remember one time you mentioned that you're also working with nmr is is that is that true oh so my one of my supervisors jonathan yates he's like the the nmr guy in the materials modeling group so he mainly works with like magnetics and then spin and 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 correlated systems so that's a really interesting avenue that i kind of want to go down so the reason I talked about MMR, uh, NMR was because one of my side projects was testing out different, um, I guess they're called functionals. They're, the, they're kind of, um, a lot of people develop these functionals to be put into these density functional mm-hmm. like codes. Yeah. They're basically, they're, they model the, uh, the energy of the, of the system, or the approximation to it. So I was doing some NMR calculations in the sense of testing, uh, like benchmarking these te- uh, functionals to see how they perform mm-hmm. in predicting like the NMR properties, like the shielding parameters and stuff of, of these molecular crystals. Um, I'm currently working on like also another side project about um, born effective charges, but that's, again, that's, that's kind of more method development and it doesn't have much to do with NMR. It's just that whenever I chat with Jonathan, because he's such a, he always brings NMR into the conversation yeah. And that's why, like, I dabble into a little bit of that. But that's kind of, the, I think NMR is really interesting, and I really need to learn more about it. But just magnetism and and spin is like the, it's like the the crux of most of yeah. condensed matter. And uh, because my project is mainly on phonons, it's quite like it's kind of far. It's kind of on the opposite spectra in mm-hmm. that sense. It's more solving systems of like just solving eigensystems. Um, and it doesn't have as much of, of like the spin and quantum as the quantum part of condensed matter that I wanted to learn more about. So it's it's good to branch out. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have Jonathan Yates uh, as my maths tutor for oh, this yeah? term actually. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, okay. I'll have my first tutor with him on on Monday. This coming oh, Monday. Oh so wow! Great. <laughs> What's um. It's on what's... Fourier series and oh, okay. partial differential equations. Oh okay, great. <laughs> So, good fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good luck. I was, I was, I was going um, to ask you about, um, well, there was, there was a, I don't know if you know, um, if you've looked into NMR on like magneto resistance in birds. Oh, right? Peter Hoare, the, the, there was a Facebook, oh, was it on Facebook? It was, there was like a, oh, my boyfriend's super into, like, into that. <laughs> so he talks about Peter Hoare yeah. a lot. And um, yeah, have you seen, there was, a, he gave a talk on, I think on Facebook about the magneto resistance in birds, like. Oh, he's like the yeah. the person to to go yeah. oh, to talk about um and yeah so i think there was some oh he gave 
it was a really cool slide where you talked about so I think it was something about like there's like radicals that are formed in the bird's brain and depending on like spin or the like the really like how how what kind of environment there's um they're put in these radicals will either undergo a reaction or not and that will like help them out with like directional depend i think they built this crazy like faraday cage looking thing in like the basement somewhere it was it was in his talk um a couple of a couple of weeks or months ago yeah so yeah that that's really cool i have to search that up yeah Yeah. it should be on youtube i think (laughs) yeah more more people like are working on it i thought it was i thought it was something that people knew that people still knew nothing about Mm -hmm. because um but yeah i've been like every other theoretical chemist like me is working on NMR on birds <laughs> like bacteria <laughs> resistance in birds so like okay yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's quite yeah. like it's quite like a niche feel but Oxford is definitely the place um because of of the group um yeah so I wish I could tell you more about NMR but uh my very limited knowledge from my yeah. undergrad of NMR uh, NMR is just like probably the basics we know about mm-hmm. that atomic physics course that we took about like you know, Zeeman effects and yeah, 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 coupling like spin orbit, um, that stuff. So in terms of up to date, uh, I guess up to date NMR stuff, especially magnetic resistance, I recommend just look up Peter Hoare. Peter Hoare, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I was I was gonna ask you about uh the the length of time it takes for you to, uh, get your plots because, uh, <laughs> my tutor Charlotte Lynch, yeah, um, I think she also works in uh sort of computational biochem stuff. Okay. And she said that to just to verify her her DFT code, she plotted the bulk modulus of uh, aluminium or copper, and mm-hmm. it took like two weeks to run that code. Oh yeah. Okay. That's a it common de- thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So it depends. It heavily depends on what you want to calculate, obviously. So it, the, what takes longest is if you're given a new material, is the convergence of finding the right parameters to actually do calculations on it. So obviously you need to find the right energy cutoff or like these are all just input parameters for the DFD code. Mm-hmm. And once you've got these sorted out and you can see that, you know, for example, if you want to look at the bulk modulus or bond length or whatever prop ground state properties, you can calculate the properties given a set of parameters, change the parameters, calculate it again and see like at what combination they converge to a stable value. Mm-hmm. That yeah. takes a long time. And obviously with the, you know, the supercomputer was hacked like last year <laughs> during the pandemic. So we were out a lot for two weeks. And then when they got started, it was a slow like trickling back in because yeah. everybody had a, backlog, a lot. Right? Yeah, backlog. Yeah. Um, and also now that Archer, the national supercomputer has become Archer 2. So there's like a new system mm-hmm. and that transition has taken a while. And so they're not like, you know, fully um, up to speed yet. So a lot of my runs also are queuing for a long time. Yeah. So obviously, if you have you know your own local resources for supercomputing uh, services, you can do a lot faster. But it also depends on like you know as I said before the functionals that you use the input parameters, because sometimes if you want to calculate you know really complicated materials like really big supercells with a lot of atoms, obviously that will take forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, um yeah, but you know if you want to simulate complicated materials, I totally agree. It will take just a long time. But a lot of times if you do method development, then you always test your code on, you know, simple systems. So in that sense, the time it takes for calculations won't be long. The time it takes, the the main bulk of time there is just actually the method development itself. Yeah. So yeah. it heavily depends on what you want to use DFT for. Um, mm-hmm. My plots don't actually take too long because the only thing that took long was the high throughput stuff I did for the benchmarking because you got to test a lot of crystals. Yeah. It's testing. Testing mm-hmm. takes a long time. 
um, but because my main project is kind of theory and method development, it doesn't require as much time. Mm-hmm. The only time I only focus on one crystal, and once I've got all the parameters that converge, I just you know change a little bit of like I test it at the gamma point or test it at another different k point. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take as long. Mm-hmm. So yeah, depends. <laughs> so uh, you said that you're doing mostly. Um, simulation on like molecules like proteins and stuff like that uh, for pharmaceuticals companies um, molecular, well, stuff yeah. that could be used for pharmaceuticals yeah molecular crystals so okay. I, I for example worked with like a lot of um, like amino acids mm-hmm. in the benchmarking stuff yeah. like you know uh, oh my god I can't remember any of the names now uh, acetic acid that's an acid not amino acid but that's one of them for example yeah. um, it's just like uh, molecules on the order of you know 20 to 60 atoms per molecule and there's about so the, in a unit cell, there's maybe like 60 to 100 something atoms. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the scope I'm working f- with. Um, hopefully, in the future, I'm, I want to test my code on a bunch of crystals now that it's working. It's a bit janky because I haven't automated it yet, which mm-hmm. is why like every time I have a new crystal, I have to do all these like piecing together and hacking together because yeah. my code is still kind of, I'm not the best at keeping it clean. but. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so hoping to test it on basic stuff like paracetamol, ibuprofen, that kind mm-hmm. of really basic pharmaceutical drugs, just kind of get a proof of concept. Well, we, well basically, the, the, the main in, important thing is we need to find crystals that have very different polymorphs that mm-hmm. are most promising to show different spectra so that to actually test that we can distinguish them. So, and then and then we'll see like how far it goes and that but that's for like whoever takes after my project if anyone yeah yeah so so it seems like uh it'd be really good at um sort of uh, making sure you've got good yield i think it seems like that because looking at Mm -hmm. spectra and elastic scattering right um yeah you mean like experimentally yeah i mean what what would then happen after that from your work oh yeah so so, i mean someone has to do the actual experiments (laughs) i guess yeah i think the whole the whole procedure to use um the the big eels spectrometer is is like i can't really use it because it's not in oxford it's it's in a different facility and it's really expensive (laughs) so what we do is i think we have to prepare the sample which i think you have to like Actually, I have no idea how to experimentally to prepare this. I know it's like got to be several micrometers yeah, thick. Yeah. Um, you have to make sure you have to do some tests to make sure it's actually. You need to determine what planes you are, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, like the you need to know the Miller like the proper Miller indices of the planes, yeah. so that because it's directionally dependent this theory, so obviously that has to be done. That's actually I was gonna do that pre-pandemic, and then the pat- pandemic happened. I found some more issues with the code, and that kind of like just yeah. got lost in them in the things to do uh, the to-do list so but i'm hoping that by next june um either we'll have well hopefully we will have a set of crystals that would say look these look promising let's just employ someone to create some crystals for us yeah. um, and then ship it off and then get the spectra um, or, you know, if like best case scenario in all cases, we can actually get some real data. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how this these crystals are made, I'm not exactly sure of the full procedure. Yeah. I just need to know. I just know that I want it to be this specific, you know, the, yeah. all the specs is what I want. Someone else can do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I guess conclu- the conclusion is stay tuned for the paper. Yeah, all of it stay tuned. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully this will trickle into more, this yeah. like theory will trickle into yeah. to more papers. 
Um, but but yeah, stay t- <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, your internship in doing quantum computing at Facecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that like? What, what was your role there? Uh, so I, yeah, so I was a software intern. I was um, working on the. I don't know. I don't really know how much information I can give away actually. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no worries. And stuff. But yeah, so I, I, first of all, I think quantum computing is a great, is a great field because it, um, just you, you can come from any field and go mm-hmm. into it. It's just a big, massive problem solving endeavor. Yeah. So you can be in material sciences. You can be an engineer. You can be a, compu- a lot of computer scientists go in because a lot of algorithmic design, a lot of physicists, chemists, um, just, just kind of. Yeah, I, I, like it's because it's trying to solve complicated problems, right? And all STEM fields right now facing complicated problems is just runtime, um, and it's yeah, it's just too hard to simulate real world scenarios. So everyone's kind of everyone will benefit from this field. Uh, my role specifically more was to develop a module that looks at so we're looking at strongly correlated materials, right? Materials where you can't really describe electronic structure with some mean field theory. So, and to do that, right now, the, the kind of most f- forefront of quantum computers only have, you know, on the order of 100 qubits, for example. So you can't, you still can't simulate big systems, especially if it's correlated materials. So a lot of effort, well, all effort has now just been trying to create an architecture that will efficiently, efficiently simulate a simple system. Um, that and obviously there's issues in terms of how do we reduce the number of computations we need to calculate the Hamiltonian how many like how do we translate the physics of the system onto the physics of you know actual qubits on the chip Mm -hmm. Um, and then actually doing the measurement on the chip that's super like you know noisy and you know you hear all these like you know Google's you know these giant chips in like several millikelvin temperature like really cold temperature Atoms. like space thing. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. it's um it's it's a whole like factory of things that you can you can work on so and it's and it's quickly it was really quickly expanding so it's really exciting um so yeah so my part was kind of more in the beginning in terms because of material simulation i'm mm-hmm. more working more on the physics of the like of the hamiltonian mm-hmm. so and, and my project was more kind of looking at symmetries of crystals I see. um so basically using the symmetry of a crystal to look at how you can more efficiently simulate the Hamiltonian. That's kind okay. of... So like, uh, I suppose, so you're, you're kind of looking at the designing a quantum algorithm? Is that, is that what... So I'm not actually designing any quantum algorithms. That's later on in the pipeline. Oh, so I'm looking at the actual, mater- like we pick a material, we look at the interaction, like Hamiltonian matrix and mm-hmm. see how can we best characterize this material using a giant matrix. Yeah. And then that later on gets fed into a lot of other procedures. So this is called the variational quantum uh, eigensolver, yeah. like VQE mm-hmm. formalism. So there's, it's like a big, it's like there's a quantum aspect, there's a classical aspect, it's a kind of a hybrid model. Um, and I'm kind of in the beginning end. So I'm not actually doing any quantum algorithmic design, that's, that's more like, um, like, tra- like, what's it called? Translating the physics into like a set of yeah. qubits and getting the, the, what's it called? Yeah, translating what's it called fermions onto qubits. Oh, I see. So yeah. I'm working on just the fermionic part, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, that's why I kind of wanted to go into this field because I wanted to learn about the latter parts as well, about actually circuit yeah. design, compilation, and measurement, mm-hmm. and 
and stuff so I don't have as much experience with like circuit design or yeah. algorithmic design yeah. so yeah, during, the, not the best <laughs> during the summer uh, so I was like um, I, I did a hackathon in like April something okay. like that on uh, quantum computing I think it was the Yale Stanford one okay, and my friends great. and I got together and <laughs> like our project in the end it was more of a joke project but we built quantum tinder basically which <laughs> <laughs> oh is like using using Grover's algorithm to find your best match oh, right? wow. <laughs> we didn't really like it like fully finish it it was more like in the idea stage but <laughs> uh, that's funny <laughs> it, it was uh, we, we I ended up having to present to like 200 well I think it was 200 people but like 2,000 people ended up watching it oh wow I basically said we were looking at trying to uh, find a problem or an application that would change a lot of lives <laughs> we're like um, what was it called uh, compu- uh, computer vision no uh, space applications no medicine no quantum tinder, tinder. Quantum, t- yes. quantum tinder is the way to change people's lives that's what you know? gets your attention quantum <laughs> yeah. tinder oh that's yeah, hilarious yeah. so um, after oh. that after that I was like you know what maybe I should actually properly understand <laughs> quantum computing so I picked up a book um, from the uh, from Blackwell's and they're such cheap they have such really? good discounts from there oh wow okay yeah, I got book? it for like sorry which book uh, quantum machine learning, I think. Oh, okay, uh, we're gonna go into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, looking, looking, looking at it, and uh, it was it was very cool just seeing how uh, all the things were formulated mm. um, with the different matrices and um, the the quadratic speed up, just because it's mm-hmm. applying a matrix to all the states instead of going through each one. Mm-hmm. So could, it could be a way to go. Oh know? yeah, yeah. yeah. I have, it's been a while since I looked into the Grover's algorithm. <laughs> but yeah, there's uh, there's cool lectures online about um, quantum information. So like an imperial, I, I don't even know if it's it might be on online. But I know like Stanford and Yale usually have like free lecture courses online. Mm. For example, yeah. quantum information is probably one of them. Um, so I would suggest if you're interested to to look at that. Um, but yeah, yeah, Grover's al- search algorithm, pretty <laughs> yeah. pretty good. What can one you can uh, Grover lover? <laughs> yeah, Grover yeah. No, maybe 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 I should patent that. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, trademark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, do you, do you think, or how soon do you think um, quantum computing w- uh, would then like revolutionize like quantum chemistry or something like that? Do you have any idea or? Is it I mean, it's kind much of much uncertain. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's kind of a, um, like that question can be answered a lot of different ways, right? Like in some sense, it's already quite revolutionary because there's already companies selling quantum services like D-Wave mm-hmm. um, and there's you know, Google, IBM, they all have their quantum computers and it's performing calculations and we're already trying to simulate materials, like simple materials, uh, mm-hmm. like for example, with the VQE algorithm. So in that, in that sense, it's already... I think is already quite revolutionary how much people have been able to achieve just in, you know, it was it was like conceived what like the late nineteen eight like nineteen eighties just mm-hmm. having the idea and it's only like what a few decades later, okay. um so in that sense it's good, um and I think there's a lot of incremental changes like people are constantly improving on noise on like the hardware aspect the software aspect coming up with better algorithms, um so, but I think like in terms of revolutionizing getting some general like black box that just solves a problem for you yeah. with, with exponential speed up. I think that's still quite <laughs> quite far. I'm not gonna put yeah. a number on it, but I yeah. think it you know, alt- automating a pro a progr- a, 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 an architecture that has a lot of different li- you need to understand a lot of the pieces is really difficult. Yeah. Um 
So it it's still but but be, but there's so much interest in it, and I have no doubt that it will it will continue to flourish. I think mm-hmm. the the field. Yeah. So I won't put a number, but I yeah, think sure. completely revolutionize with a general material simulating package with exponential speed up of very very little noise is a bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> still better. Quite, quite a lot of requirements before yeah. that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know of any other um, like theoretical physics? Um, Areas that could, that you that you think could come into condensed matter much sooner. Like, do you think quantum field theory would be used much more? Uh, I mean, field theory is kind of just like a tool, really. I think in terms of, um, like I've never I've only taken like a basic course in field theory in undergrad, and of course for that one, I mean that's kind of I think the only useful thing I've ever used from that was like Wick's theorem in terms of time ordering. So it's um, it's about like if you have a bunch of states and you have some operators then you can like draw a bunch of Feynman diagrams to simplify the calculation. It, it's kind of like, I, I think of it as more as a tool rather than, um, I'm not sure what aspect of it will be simulatable because mm-hmm. it's like another matter is a study of, you know, like, like behaviors of, of, of correlated systems, right? And ana- like analysis or number theory, symmetries, um, group theory, all that stuff are just kind of tools to help mm-hmm. understand yeah. the structures of these things. So, I mean, in the sense, they're all related. Yeah. Um, but, uh, like, of course, there's other things people will do. Like, there's, you know, Cambridge Quantum, the company here, yeah. they're working with language, natural language processing, for example. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of aspects of things you can do with these quantum computers. It's just that the one that I'm most interested in is the, the material simulation aspect of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot, you know, as my random number generators, you can have a purely ra- random number generator instead of a pseudo-random one yeah. with a quantum computer, like quantum annealing, um, like these, as I say, machine learning, not mm-hmm. language processing, uh, material simulations. But um, yeah, it's, it's got applications in, in <laughs> I guess, like in, in everything, basically. <laughs> yeah, so. it was quite cool. The other day, I met, I met someone, uh, his name is George, and he mm-hmm. is... He is working on uh, Quantum Dice. I don't know if you heard of that. Oh, that's a comp- That's a yeah, startup. Isn't it's the it? random number generator. Yeah, one. yeah. yeah and then, I think. Uh, he he told me that he told me that he was um, he was doing hardware technology uh-huh. and uh, he was working on hardware. And I was like, well, what would that be on? And he said it was about random number generators. Uh, and then I was like, okay, I know what that is. It has to be <laughs> <laughs> it has to be uh, quantum, right? Yeah. Oh, he said he said he was doing lasers, and then I was like, oh. Because yeah. because it's a condensed matter, and it's inherently a random system, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, that's so cool. Uh, um, <laughs> that's cool. I don't know. Um, I didn't know how big the company was. I I was like, I just randomly came across them on LinkedIn or something yeah. the other day, and that looked pretty cool. Their website is a bit cryptic. <laughs> um, there was <laughs> yes. not a lot of, of links yeah. on that website, yeah. but yeah, yeah they I have raised two million already. I think. Really? Yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not if I'm it's not impressive. wrong. Yeah, but uh, oh yeah, the the one last thing about on the quantum side was. I wanted to ask you about uh, how how much does chaos theory come into condensed matter? Um, does that does that happen at all? Uh, I mean, I know chaos theory from my very basic knowledge of like, for example, if you have circuits like electronic circuits, mm-hmm. you'll have a lot. For example, you can have chaos theory if you just you strap in an inductor, or a capacitor, and a bunch of resistors and stuff. So it's, it's the behavior of the current and voltage, right? It won't it's not a deterministic loop that it yeah. will cycle in. So whenever, so I guess like anything to do with circuitry will have that. 
But obviously, in in a quantum chip, you're working with spins.、Mm-hmm. You're working with like cold atoms, and you're working with electronic structure. It's not really like the flow of electrical current. But obviously, there will be you know you have to deal with any like current voltage issues in the actual circuitry surrounding the chip and like controlling the chip. So I guess in that sense, it will come in. But in in terms of um, in terms of material simulation from the full package of Describing the material, doing the algorithm and design. There's not really much chaos theory that come into the simulation aspect of it.、Okay. I think it if it does come in, it'll probably have to be in the hardware aspect. I see. So okay, yeah. Um, I I saw I saw a paper by DeepMind saying that uh they were they were using, well may not be quantum but it's like machine learning and physics at the same time. They they created something called Hamiltonian graph networks and Lagrangian graph networks. Okay. And I think. It's like it it builds in the physics into the system and machine learning method, to then try to capture some of these like physics basically like could be on chaotic systems. Okay. What's wrong with you? Oh, I've I, heard ha- I, ha- I haven't heard of that yet, but <laughs> I think there's a lot of. I mean, when you strap the word machine learning <laughs> into a sentence, I think you can pretty much. And you you have a big database of of something. You can always extract some information from it.、Mm. So. I think a little bit more detail will probably be helpful, but I mean, I'm I thought about like trying to do a bit more machine learning, but I feel like if I were to do it, I probably want to do a bit more of the method development side of、mm-hmm. like the Matsy side, because I think、um, right now, at least my priority in terms of what I want to work with is sorting out the physics of getting、I、these、see. NIST devices working on simulating materials, and then once that once you have some kind of like nice system in place. Then you can start testing and then doing these machine learning、uh, stuff. Well, obviously, machine learning can be used for actual method development as well. Like a lot of th- a lot of times, a problem can't be solved with, like no one's come up with a smart idea of doing it yet. So a lot of people are doing, you know, just throwing a lot of, you know, measurements at it and then seeing if you can like capture the physics with、mm-hmm. a neural ne- a neural net or some yeah some method of categorizing,、mm-hmm. um yeah using ML so. Um, yeah, ML like ML is it's it's you know it's like a buzzword still, and a quantum yeah, ML is even、yeah. bigger buzzword. Even bigger, yeah. So Someone's I, not even mean.、Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's like that's the real question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still kind of um I'm I'm holding off from going too deep into that. I'm mainly focusing on the, on just, just, s- simple systems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh yeah, I think the future is like has so many things. To,、um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on, exciting. On 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 like re- researching all these sorts of methods and uh basically frameworks of thinking, right? And uh but yeah um after <laughs> I was looking through some of your uh <laughs> profiles on online and uh <laughs> um after a bit of searching I found you know I found that you did IYPT yeah quite a while ago I had some friends <laughs> who I had some、oh、friends who did that and they they said that they really loved it because、yeah, it, it, it got、like、them to really solve like to learn a lot more. Physics and maths to solve problems. I remember my friend. Yeah. He was like sixteen <coughs> maybe, and he was trying to solve the double pendulum. Yeah. <laughs>、right? oh、god, so what what was that like? What was your experience <coughs> with that? Oh god, I haven't thought about IYPT since I left high school. It's <laughs> mad. Um. So I I first learned IYPT when I was in 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 um IB in Sweden. Yeah. So uh this the school that I had because they had quite a lot of funding from the government so. We had a a bunch of people from university come and teach us and talk to us about like 
oh look at this like cool international tournament if you if you get into the team for the national team you can go to like different countries and stuff so I was like oh well great free ride to, <laughs> to like um, to compete in a physics competition that sounds cool mm-hmm. so yeah and there was one one um, university student called Jacob Lovred and he was the one that inspired me to basically do physics as a like as a degree because I was thinking of medicine at first because <laughs> everyone's like you gotta do medicine you gotta yeah. like, it's like the way to go yeah. everyone's applying for it um, and then so he taught me basically he taught me a lot of first year undergrad knowledge like he taught me everything about partial differentiation integration um, so I think having a good mentor is really really important so he he was in charge of doing a lot of this like theoretical calculations and teaching it to us and mm-hmm. then like and then like we'll collaborate with him in terms of doing experiments and measurements so I remember what like the two most vivid memory or three most vivid memory I have is um I spent a summer in the basement looking at what angle you know when you take a ping pong ball with a blow oh, yeah. dryer it stays it like it like goes around right with oh the, yeah magnus effect it, it will just hold it there right yeah, yeah cor- like it's called the, it's actually magnus effect I think not the career oh, ones okay so but basically like I spent a whole summer like taking the ball and then like putting it in the stream and then like taking a video of it I did this several hundred times <laughs> I was like my summer yeah. um, and then analyzing the results that was that was that was quite gruesome but it was it was like it's yeah. really exciting to see like a final product come in um, the other problem was like called fire hose so it was okay. like if you put a stream of water through a tube at some velocity it will start going like 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 a hose yeah. effect so that and this has a lot of applications like if you look at firefighters they have a lot of water coming out of that hose as you see so many people holding on to it because at some speed it's going to start want to flood like yeah. it's going to start want to going crazy so that was a cool project um and that's a lot of you know like a fourth order partial differential equation you have to solve numerically or something else yeah. or something <laughs> um and then the last one was actually chaos theory so it was designing um a circuit that exhibited chaos theory um i can't remember much from it but i remember memorizing the equation for like the, the you know like the capacitor and the inductor and then like solving it mm-hmm. and then getting the like the cosines and signs out and because I, we were preparing for someone to ask us that question yeah so it there's a lot of like combination of politics and prep and interview prep and like it, it helps you a lot develop as a person mm-hmm. it helped me a lot in terms of interviewing yeah um and like trying to work on the pressure and like being in front of a public um so it it's a really not you know if you're listening to this and you're considering doing it do it <laughs> it's good for you yeah um yeah. yeah we got to go into we got to go to taiwan for the awesome. 2012 i think and then and then shrewsbury it's the yeah. first time i came to the england it was like <laughs> the year before i came here from my for my um what is it called undergraduate. my undergraduate yes <laughs> we went to shrewsbury and that was the 20. 13 or 2014 IYPT so yeah. it's really cool and you get to see like you know several dozen other mm-hmm. other countries yeah so uh, it's it's quite funny that you mentioned the the ping pong ball because I remember one of one of my first experiences with like fluids and uh, all these effects was mm-hmm. when my uncle at a birthday party mm-hmm. he pointed to a balloon that was um, that was sort of suspended in the air, but like didn't move up because uh-huh. it was right below an air vent. Oh, really? So it was it was like the magnitude effect, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like flipped upside down, right? Because the balloons yeah. kind of go up. Yeah. 
yeah. Wow, yeah. that's cool. How did that feel? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, he asked me and I had no idea. <laughs> I, I came up with some like nonsense um, explanation. And, uh, <laughs> Buoyancy yeah. and gravity. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's cool. Yeah. It's cool. It's like these kind of memories. I remember the first memory I have of like being wowed by just, just I don't know, science or something out of out of the ordinary was when I went to my dad to go to an air like an airport. And we were staring at this giant plane about to take off. And he was like, do you want to bet that that's going to go up in the air in the next, like, he's going to fly in the air. I was like four or five. And I was like, there's no way that's going to go up in the air. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's obviously a car. Yeah. And then like 10 minutes car. later, I was just like, what is going on? Just took off. <laughs> so, you know, these kind of, like, these, these, these are really cool and it's good inspirational. But yeah. IYPT, do it. If you have the chance to do it, do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really, it's good. Um, my, my friend who went to IYPT, I met the guy at a place, uh, at the Permitter Institute in Canada. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, because um, we had a Singaporean friend as well, we were talking about schools there. And then my friend from, who did IYPT was from Canada, was like, yeah, ra- Raffles, right? Everyone knows Raffles. Oh, Raffles. like they all go to IYPT. For right? uh, Singapore. Yeah, Raffles, Singapore. Yeah, I, um... I used to live in Singapore. Oh, really? <laughs> so I, I went to see it at J.J. Kellogg, and it was an all-girls school, and every one of my friends said, oh, we're all going to go into Raffles. <laughs> so, like, it, it is yeah. the place to go, and, and Singapore always is on the top three. They're either, uh, they either win or they're in the finals, yeah. um, and they're, they're really, really good. They always have amazing teams. So it's, yeah, it's quite crazy to, to think, oh, maybe I would have, like, represented them instead of uh, Sweden. Yeah, no, I only got as far as, like, uh, doing the, uh, doing, like, the uh, ASEAN scholarship test, mm. which I didn't, I did not prepare for at all, but, and everyone else apparently had, because like, I went in, I was, like, tw- uh, like 12, something like that, yeah. and then they had, like, some sort of, uh, some sort of infinite fraction and integrals on it. I had no oh, idea what that was. It's almost like a Olympia, like a like a baby <laughs> yeah. Olympia question. Yeah. So uh, that was when I, I I realized okay yeah Sing- Singapore <laughs> Singapore they mean business you know. Yeah, like yeah. in Sweden we didn't have any of these exams. I was got lucky because the school that I went to like they had good connections with the UK and the US mm-hmm. and they were like known for the IB program was known so they will attract a lot of like you know collaborations and stuff. So we were really lucky to be in in the place where most of the IYPT like you know hype and stuff was around so I just yeah. kind of like accidentally got into it rather than having to go all through these applications mm-hmm. so it's it's also more <laughs> less stressful in that way I guess <laughs> yeah but yeah Singapore means business mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, I just uh, wanted to ask you on a separate note um, because you you were talking about um, your, your experience with Blender as mm-hmm. well and um, animation. What would what, what drew you into that? And uh, <laughs> do you think do you think studying physics uh, sort of helps with that in any way? And, uh, um, I don't know about it helping in any way. So I I um when I was younger, I always liked to draw. So I would like to like doodle and like try to do like sketches of mm. realistic drawings and stuff. But I never really pursued it as anything more than a hobby. Um and. Like, I, I don't really consider myself as too creative in that sense. I know a lot of people who do physics that does, like, you know, like, they play, like, the piano, like, amazingly. I had a friend that did half physics and half, um, like, music in back in undergrad, and she was, like, just amazing on the piano. And, and a lot of people who are really artistic, they, like, do philosophy, and they do a lot of, like, you know, graphic design and that stuff. So, but I don't really feel like I was ever more into the 
I was never like so deep into the artistic side that mm-hmm. I could consider myself an artist. So with Blender, it was more of a boredom due to the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I always wanted to make a game by myself, and the, until I realized how difficult it is to make a game by yourself. Yeah. So I tried to learn Unity, and I was like, oh, this is taking a while. Maybe yeah. I wanna maybe I'll just like create some basic character stuff. So I got into 3D modeling and then I looked up Blender. I was like, oh, there's a lot of YouTube video. YouTube is like, like, it's just a gold mine of <laughs> tutorials, man, for, yeah. for whatever skill you want. Forget Udemy, forget all these like, <laughs> uh, paid, yeah, yeah paid uh, subscriptions. This is YouTube, this is YouTube. <laughs> or like Stack Exchange, Cora, Stack yes. Overflow. Yeah, yeah. Um, Reddit. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, I learned basically everything I could from YouTube videos and then by the time I'm like fluent enough to make my own, I just started making stuff, and it's kind of like I made it the YouTube channel more as a as a as a diary mm-hmm. of my progress because I didn't know where else to put all my videos. They're like they take up a lot of space, so I was like, if I upload it, I can delete it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, if you want to check it out, it's called Blender Dilettante. <laughs> um, yeah. I haven't posted since the beginning of the year because I was like, oh, I'm gonna make a video every two weeks until I realized, oh, I actually have a PhD to finish. It. Um, but yeah. I'm hoping to get back into it afterwards. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in terms of motivation it's it's it started off as a as a documentary of like a diary like a video diary um and then it quickly became like oh this could be like i like doing like little projects so i think it's um it it used to be like a stress relief during the pandemic because i could just Uh, sit there for a whole day make a video and then not have to care about (laughs) the fact the world's probably going under outside yeah um Yeah. yeah but then um because and also a lot a lot of times I find it really difficult to like once I get really used to something I can it just becomes like a like a not a chore but you just almost get into like an autopilot mode so it was it was blender was one of the things that I started doing and I was like I have like this child. I suddenly relived this childlike wonder because you know yeah. when you're a child, everything's fascinating. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. you can stare at like a piece of cardboard for like a whole day <laughs> and imagine the world, and it's like you just like spend all your time on it, and it's like so fascinating. So Blender was one of the things that I found like suddenly like oh I have this like pure childlike fascination with it, and that's really hard to come by. I realize nowadays with new stuff. Um, so I kind of just want to just pursue it. But now I kind of like, I'm kind of over the hump of the initial, you know, like s- yeah. wondrous excitement. And um, it's kind of just managing how to continue it without hating it later. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, I think quantum computing is one of the things that I, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm getting into that yeah. wanderer uh, zone again. I think that's really important to, to look for, like to look for things that give you that excitement because mm-hmm. um, it's quite easy to kind of fall into a routine and yeah sorry that got a bit depressing <laughs> no 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 I mean <coughs> I, I, I sort of animation became quite interesting to me once I once I looked back on like all the Pixar movies that I'd watched before mm-hmm. I realised people actually took the time to, to do model it. all of that I mean yeah. like to, to animate it right yeah. they made the, they made the is it called cages um like the the, mm-hmm. the sort of uh, human like models. Oh, like or... armature. Yeah. So you you create like the the mesh. The mesh, sorry, yeah, the mesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah, you yeah. put the armature in, and mm-hmm. then you like you try to yeah. like merge it. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like I have a have a series for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's um I, I was seeing movie, like videos from Vox or 
uh, could be Business Insider or something like that on, on YouTube. Mm, and right. they, they were just talking about how uh, Woody from Toy Story had like so many more joints over the like as the Toy Story m- movies progressed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can tell like that's one thing as well. I I totally recommend you try to like model something like simple just to appreciate it. Because the minute I started doing that, like one year later, whenever I watch an animated show, I'm just like. I'm not even focused on the storyline. I'm just like, how many, how many hours did it take to render that like two seconds? Yeah. Or like, you know, hair particles and like clip, clipping is such a big mm-hmm. problem. Like when two objects touch and yeah. then parts of the mesh go into each other. Like having that realistic, like holding on to something. That's just, I, like I have a lot of issues with that uh, when I create videos. So it's, you have a newfound appreciation for like video games as well. Mm-hmm. Like watching like the new video games that come out and I'm like, how do you do that in real time? Just like yeah, this is amazing. It's, 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 yeah. it's really cool. Um, um, Khan Academy yeah. actually have a course on it. It's, it's called Pixar in a Box. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know of I it? I love Khan Academy. <laughs> I literally spent my summers in high school watching Khan Academy. I tried to compile a book of everything they teach, and I quickly realized that was impossible. <laughs> but yeah, it's they, yeah. they're they're really good now. They're coming up with like a lot of video series. You can take quizzes. Mm. They expanded their like team and stuff. Mm. So, yeah. it's oh, amazing. Great. It's, what so, it's you, so cool. What happens in Pixar in a box? Was it? Uh, yeah. So I think they so they partner with Pixar and they well the beginning part they just talk about uh, all the all the people who work at Pixar like people with PhDs in computer science like mm-hmm. at the forefront of computer graphics right people uh, people doing like uh, simulation of chaotic systems right because mm-hmm. that's what happens when you have all these things moving around yeah. modeling hair as like simple harmonic right which is dance oh I see <laughs> right? and then like they, yeah, they were using funny. movies like The Good Dinosaur and uh, uh, Brave as case mm-hmm. studies and just looking at all these wow. things I was like that's really cool yeah yeah. I'm actually going to check that <laughs> yeah. out that's so cool it's, it's amazing and um, they do all sorts of stuff like that like Khan Academy did and uh I mean, Khan Academy was how I first learned calculus at the beginning. Mm-hmm. When I when oh, I when respect. I was yeah when I was uh when I was so impatient to wait for for school to teach it that I yeah I, I, I had to I had to listen to Sal Khan. Yeah. Uh, oh my god, yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's great. Like that that gives me flashbacks to <laughs> to when I watched yeah. it as well. Yeah. His I had to put him on two times the speed though. Yeah, I, I do as well. Yeah. <laughs> he, he does it really clearly, which is really yeah. Great. He does yeah. clearly, which is why you can put him on two times <laughs> yeah. the speed. But for for my brother's birthday. Uh, I I gave him a I gave him a birthday card, mm-hmm. um, which instead of, like uh, I I I've I've come to realize that uh, to make the birthday card more interesting, I put pictures of uh, like inside jokes. So I <laughs> for my brother's birthday card, I I wrote happy birthday. Yeah. Uh, hope you have a great one. But I also put like ten pictures of Sal Khan <laughs> <laughs> in the birthday card <laughs> because like that's just that's just who, that's just. Like who we worship, right? Yeah. Like, so, so <laughs> we worship. We want to start a religion. <laughs> start it here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, he he was like he felt like almost like a dad, like another dad. It was. Yeah, his yeah. voice is so soothing as well. It's so soothing. He should be yeah. reading children's books. To, like he can fall asleep yeah. to his voice. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening, go check him out. <laughs> Khan Academy. Yeah. yeah. Just one last question, and uh, mm-hmm. because I mean, my favorite movie when I was younger, well, set of movies. Um, not so much for the plot, but um, because of just like the like imagery, right, and like mm. visual effects. It's Transformers. It's like it's all <laughs> sorts of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just things that go from like, <coughs> like a robot to like yeah. a vehicle, right, or like yeah, a plane, yeah. you know, and they're just like 
maybe even a planet, right? Do you ever try to like slow it down to see how the transition happens? <laughs> like where yeah. does where does it go from robot to, to car? Yeah, <laughs> so so much I can do. So, uh, what is your favorite animated film or uh, movie, whatever? And uh, um, yeah. okay. Oh, I wasn't part of this. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I think I like two D animations more than three D mm-hmm. animations. I think I think I appreciate three D animations in terms of the amount of effort. Like now that I've seen how much like design and animation and computer science that requires to go into these algorithms to design these games and create these games and beta test these games so uh, for 3d animated mo- oh sorry why am i talking about games sorry for 3d animations i mean i really respect the amount of work that gets put into these things um but in terms of my favorite animations i would say like probably studio ghibli's mm-hmm. 2d films like yeah. spirited away we, me and my boyfriend were watching like ponyo the other day you know that ponyo it's a it's a really weird movie it's like a, a boy finds like a fish by the ocean but the fish has magic powers yes I've heard of it and then it turns into like a girl oh sorry spoilers (laughs) but yeah it's a it's a really pure movie and I think that's that's more I respect that for the artistic Mm -hmm. side of it and like the creativity of it so I think for I think like um, in terms of favorite 2D uh, sorry favorite 2D stuff would be Studio Ghibli's oh Spirited Away oh sorry not Spirited Away Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, That's yes. probably my favorite film, although it's very sad and depressing, but it never fails to make me cry. Yeah. And it's like it's just so emotion. It's just so good. Like you can do that with just you know, a drawing of a face. It's such yeah. a simple drawing as well. Mm-hmm. So the simple. I like the simplicity of it and like the the emotional the the EQ of that stuff. Yeah. But then, but I would appreciate three D animated films for their um, just the hard work <laughs> the hard work and yeah. time and effort and yeah, yeah. there's so. something about 2D where like uh, it's it's done so with, with so much intent or, or like mm-hmm. so carefully done so that to, to portray a certain emotion yeah right um, Studio Ghibli is one of my favorite one of the one of the things that um, my, my parents and my family and I just like it's one of the it's one of the things that we really love in the world. <laughs> so yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I think it's easy to capture. Like you know when you watch. Oh, have you seen a Mew Mew the the Pokemon movie? Yes, the 2D I have. One. Yeah. There's a 3D one that came out. I'm not sure if you've seen that is one. It, is it the? It's like Mew the new the new. Oh, it's it's like so it's literally they took the video audio from the 2D like oh, animation okay. and made like a 3D animation yeah. with it. So you can see the big difference. The main difference is that. The emotions you can't capture with 3D animation. Mm-hmm. In 2D, you can make it dramatic, right? Like yeah. your eye can suddenly go from an eye to like a dot, <laughs> or like your mouth can, you know, suddenly go from a line to like like your entire face. Mm-hmm. So it 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 gives you like a lot more dramatic emotions, and that's something that like 3D animation just can't capture without it looking kind of weird. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another reason why I like 2D animations more in terms of the the artistic like. The emotiveness of of, <laughs> mo- of those movies. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Um, Sabrina, where can where can people find your work or reach out to you? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm not used to being interviewed like this. Okay. Uh, you can find. I guess I have. I don't. I'm not really active on on social media like Twitter and stuff. But you can find me on like YouTube <laughs> if you want to watch my videos. It's called Blender yeah. Blender Dilettante. Um, I guess my LinkedIn as well is <laughs> just Sabrina Yuwong. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but um, if you want to reach out, you can always send me an email because I um, you can send me an email to my YouTube channel actually, and I'm I'm happy to 
actually haven't checked that email in a long time so, <laughs> so I should do that awesome but yeah all right thank you so much for your time and yeah, good, good luck with the rest of your default uh, paper great thank <laughs> okay. you for the interview thank you so much